This podcast is brought to you by Third World. Yo, that's all. We're just three immigrants talking trash. Talking trash. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of Three Immigrants Talking Trash. In this episode, we're talking about migrating, transitioning, and assimilating. My name is Vanessa, and I am here with my two fellow immigrants and literally my only two friends, Ayushers and Manal. What's up, guys? What's cracking? How are you? Hey, guys. Hello there, friends. <laughs> What's going on? How's your week? Anything interesting? My week was pretty plain. Regular week in LA. But something interesting happened. I go to the gym a lot. The other day I was there and there's this woman who coaches. She has this really loud voice, okay? I'm giving her my number and the last four digits are 6969. Walking back to my bike. And then she goes <laughs> in front of the clients already training in the gym. 6969, just how you like it. Ew. And this is the problem that I have with people over-sexualizing gay people. Why are people so crass? Do you think she would have said that if I was in a heterosexual relationship? No, absolutely not. I, I think so. Why would anyone say that <laughs> to, to anyone, anywhere? I don't look at it like, oh my God, maybe she said it because you're gay. I think maybe that's her sense of humor. It's completely out of place. <laughs> <laughs> you and her would get along well. Really, because like that's the type of jokes that I would say. And then it took me 10 years to realize that I shouldn't be saying this type of jokes if I want to get higher. <laughs> so I can relate to her. All of us used to say things we now regret. But come on, Vanessa, I really doubt that if she had said that to you in front of a bunch of people in a gym, I think you would have been extremely irritated. Yeah. Absolutely. I would like call her to the side and I'll be like, hey, come here for a second, please. <laughs> Listen. I have the same humor as you do, but I don't know you enough for you to scream, it's nice, it's nice how you like it. Can you please don't do that? Thank you. I love you. Take care of yourself. That's so cute. Okay, Ayushi, how was your week? Something interesting happened this week with you. Something interesting did happen this week. We got robbed in South Africa. So basically, I was up till one in the morning and this happened at 1.15. Oh my Someone God. was in our house oh downstairs. God. It was actually our neighbor's house that was robbed. They robbed four laptops, a Rolex watch, a PlayStation, grabbed all of that stuff, jumped the wall, came to our house, saw that there was an open sliding door, came inside, emptied my dad's laptop bag, put all of that stolen stuff in there. And then they left the other person's laptop bag at our house. To frame you guys. So as oh to my frame God. us that we might have stolen it. And then he left, but I think he might have heard me upstairs because I was laughing really loudly and sending videos to my friends and laughing and whatever. So I think he heard me and then he ran away because he didn't steal anything else. My mom's purse was there. Our car keys were there. He could have grabbed the car. So I think he was trying to maybe frame us or he heard me and he couldn't take anything and he had to like run away. So that's what happened last night. And I think that's just one of the reminders of why I would like to live in LA or in the United States, just because I've always felt more safe there. Even if safety is an illusion and you're never too safe anywhere. I also feel like in general, it's just a better lifestyle. You guys want to backtrack and talk about why you decided to move to Los Angeles? Yes, yes, yes. I actually decided 
decided to move to Los Angeles because five years ago in South Africa, there were no opportunities for actors. And also I was going through a really bad breakup and I just needed to get out. LA was just always a place that I've, you know, wanted to go to. So I decided to do an acting program and I wanted those eight weeks to be my whole life because I fell in love with the city. But when you say always Los Angeles, why? Why always Los Angeles? Because you saw like that Hollywood life, like you used to watch The Hills or something. I actually always wanted to move to Mumbai to pursue Bollywood. The reason why I ended up coming to LA was because my boyfriend and I at the time broke up and it was his dream to always move to LA. It was his dream to go to New York Film Academy. And I was like, what a way to get back at him by moving to LA myself. I love that. I feel like that's the best type of revenge. Let me just steal his dream and make it mine and fulfill it. <laughs> that's exactly what I did. But I guess I was always like destined to be there. And also, I think over the years, I really felt more safe in LA. And having lived in South Africa growing up, seeing like my dad's car get hijacked, my mom get held at gunpoint, my brother held at knife point, all of those things I think were just like constant reminders to me that I needed to secure my future. So I actually wanted to ask you, did you move to L.A. because of film or was it just because you wanted to get out of your country? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. I wanted to do film. I came here to do acting and then learn filmmaking after graduating from acting and went into producing. One part of me is definitely like, yes, I always wanted to leave that country. You know, I wanted to live in a place where I can express myself, be myself and do what I want. And like not having a gun pointed at my neck when I'm having a breakfast with my friends, you know, little pleasures in life, not having a gun pointed at you when you're just walking on the streets. I wanted to run away from that part of the country, you know, the insecurity the corruption, the society there, always judging you and having to look certain way in order to be accepted. In Venezuela, they're crazy about plastic surgery, you know, <laughs> it's like a passport, almost like a social security number. If you don't have like any type of plastic surgery, I, I don't know if you're a Venezuelan woman or not, but also, I had all my family there and I don't know if I was willing just to leave that. And I'm definitely sure that I'm not willing to not be able to go back to that, not be able to go to my grandma's place, like share time with my cousins, helping my mom yeah. install Netflix. Little things that I can be like, oh, sure, old woman, let me help you now. Who's going to help my mom? I'm only child, you know. So I want to be able to do that. And I don't think the solution is like we always need to bring our parents and like that's the type of pressure that we need to put on us because not everybody is able to do that. So to close my point, I'm not completely sure if I ever wanted to leave my country. I know I don't like the society, but that doesn't mean that I don't like being at my place because that's also my place and next to my family. But I wanted to move to Europe first. I went there for like six months and I didn't see myself there. So I was like, okay, what do I remember that I like? And then I remember when I came here to California, I actually came to a place called Redondo Beach. I came to learn the language and I would drive to the city of LA and I fell in love with it. And I saw the acting program and I was like, okay, I think this is it. And I think that was one of the best decisions I ever took because just for once I got to meet you guys, yeah. which is so difficult to find your tribe when you're not in your place of birth. It was great to find people that only understand me, yes. see me, and are for a completely different part of the world. So it was like a good omen just to meet you guys. Like, okay, you're at the right place at the right time. That's so true. How long has it been since you went home? 2012, 
almost 10 years ago, nine years ago. That is so long. Yeah, it's way too long, dude. The things that you miss in a decade, you know, I lost my grandmother's funeral. I didn't get to see her, you know, say goodbye to her and spend the last decade with her. And my grandma is not a person that is fan of technology or speaking, you know, communicating. Yeah, it, it, it was a difficult time and it was very difficult to grieve that. And I'm still grieving that, Hmm. but I'm not sure if I'm completely done with the country where I was born. Yeah. How can you ever be, right? Home usually is where the heart is. Even if you're like trying to get away from it, there's always like this connection. You have amazing memories there, bad memories. I relate to you so much about the sacrifice in terms of family, you know, not being able to see your mom and especially cases like you and I, where we don't have the option of going back. Because let's be clear, there are a lot of immigrants who, you know, are back and forth. They can visit, they can go see family three times a year. Some immigrants don't have that option because they don't have the option of leaving the country. And even if you had the option, the country that you're going to, anything bizarre can happen to you. Like you get out of the airport and then somebody follows you to your hotel and then pa, 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 you this. And I'm like, oh my God, it's been a decade, guys. I just came here to say hi. Oh my God. It's crazy and bizarre. And like I said, I did want to leave it because I don't want to have a gun pointed at me when I'm having breakfast. But fuck, I would like to go back and not be faced with that situation. What about you, Manal? I chose to leave because I was 25 years old and I never felt like I could be myself there. Obviously, considering my sexual orientation and just like Middle Eastern society in general is a bit restrictive. I love it, but it also has a very limited place for me. I felt like I hit a ceiling in my career, my personal life, and I wanted to pursue filmmaking. So I chose LA, but when I visited LA, I was so disappointed. I didn't like it at all. You didn't like the city? I didn't like how everything was so far away. I didn't like the amount of homeless people in the streets. It worried me. It's like, why is this happening? It shocked me. I expected to see a different kind of city. But then people started telling me, trust me, when you live here, it's different. You fall in love with it. And that is absolutely 100% correct. I'm an LA fanatic. I love it. I grew here as an individual. I grew as a designer, as a filmmaker. I fell in love here. But do you come to Los Angeles straight from Dubai or from Switzerland? Because I remember you went to Switzerland and you did study political science and then you, you came to study filmmaking. So it was even like a worse culture clash going to Switzerland first and seeing like all these little houses looking like so wonderfully painted. <laughs> why why did you decide to change that for the LA glam and filmmaking? You know, unfortunately, immigrants can never give you a simple answer. The trajectory is always like very up and down. Yeah. So what had happened was... I was entering university to major in political science at the St. Joseph University in Beirut, Lebanon. And I'm in Beirut like I am mostly every summer. But this time it's not just for summer. This time I'm moving into the dorms. I'm so excited. My mom is there helping me settle. This was 2006. And a war starts. (laughs) Of course it does. Typical summer in a third world country. Exactly. So a war starts between the political party slash militia Hezbollah and Israel. It escalated like no tomorrow and it was a full-blown war in the south of Lebanon. Now, the rest of Lebanon was like, this is not my war. So literally everyone just flew up to the north. So we were good, but we could hear all the bombings. Everything shuts down. Even the airport shuts down. Oh my God. And we got stuck. 
when are they going to open up the airport again? Nobody knows. So we're like in limbo. We we're not sure what to do. We're living in a hotel. We were there spending our summer in a hotel. My mother and I had to flee to Syria, where we're also from, and we escaped basically. But taking that decision to drive to the Syrian border when nobody was accepting to take that route because there was shelling, that decision was so hard to make. We had to take a car, a driver, pay him money. He drove us to the Syrian border. We got away. Okay. Oh my so God. I had to drop my entire like university life that was just about to start in Beirut that I was so excited about. Oh my word. Luckily, I had an acceptance letter from a university in Switzerland, Lausanne. You would think that that would be my choice, but I wanted to stay close to my parents. That's why I chose to stay in Beirut. So I went to Switzerland without facing all the traumas that I just inherited from this experience. Oh I went back to Dubai for like less than a month. Okay, thank God nothing happened in Beirut. God bless. Pack your bags. We're off to Switzerland. <laughs> my mom goes with me to Switzerland. She even didn't have the time to face her traumas. And I did one semester at the University of Lausanne in political science. The university is beautiful, guys. The country is beautiful. The city is beautiful. But I stood out like a sore thumb because I'm <laughs> Arab and I have a Middle Eastern accent and my humor and whatever. So I didn't feel <laughs> like I belonged there at all. And I was 19. So I was in a very like sensitive age. And I started getting really bad anxiety. But guys, like anxiety to the point where I would literally have like one spoon of cereal and then five minutes later puke it out. A month later, I lost like half my hair. What? That was all like the bottled up trauma that I experienced from trying to flee. Stress and trauma. A war-torn country with my mother. I couldn't stay in Switzerland. I was like, fuck this. This is not for me. And I'm going back to Dubai. I need to press the reset button for a couple of months. So I went back to Dubai. Fuck the reset button. I can't sit still. I was like, <laughs> fuck it. Let's just get into the American University in Dubai. I switched fields completely and I got into the arts. I did graphic design, Bachelor of Fine Arts. Boom. What's next? I work in Dubai for a couple of years. I still have that like urge to get out. Like I'm still not myself. <laughs> I want to date a chick. <laughs> Guys, come on. I'm so bored. <laughs> you just turn on the TV and you watch the L word. And I'm like, oh, that exists. <laughs> that exists. Like it's totally normal. I it's can... a reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's a reality that I can be part of. I can be with a woman. I can be in a community of only women you can build a family you can have kids that's yes, totally fine. <laughs> so that totally switched up my mentality and i was like okay i'm going to la that's where everyone can be that's where everyone can go and still belong i also wanted to pursue filmmaking and hopefully like diversify the stories that are being told from the middle east you know yes so that's how you came to L.A. after all that transitioning and journey and Lebanon and Switzerland and L.A. I see why that context was important, though. I see why she had to go all the way back to the war <laughs> to come to this point. Okay, all right. So you mentioned, Manal, that when you first moved to Los Angeles, you really didn't like the city. What about the city you didn't like? How do you say? I was surprised by how rugged the city, yeah. like rugged. Is that the word? That's also because we forget you're coming from Dubai. So naturally, LA would be like a dumpster <laughs> in comparison. But even through my Dubai lens, <laughs> LA, what it appeared to be on TV, looks sexy as hell. Yeah. But then you you see it up close and some areas are pretty rough and there's a lot of homeless people on the street. Right. It's very difficult not to be affected by the amount of 
of homeless people you see in the streets in California, especially Absolutely. that this is the sixth largest economy in the world, you know. So you come in as a tourist thinking everything's going to be fun and glammy, but it's like, whoa, you really get to see the rough parts of the city. But, you know, right now, seven years later, I can tell you I love every single inch of the city. Aww. A lot of it needs work, especially now compared to six years ago, I've seen it grow more tired, like infrastructure needs work and all that stuff. But I love it, the good and the bad. I love that from the outside, we think that LA is like La La Land. <laughs> so like if you go to Hollywood Boulevard, you think like LA DeGeneres is going to be there to say, hey, welcome to Hollywood. And then when you actually come, it's insane the interaction that you have with homeless people here in California, next to Hollywood, next to Sunset Boulevard, next to all the places where you see your favorite films being filmed. It is so intense. I remember the first time my mom came to visit LA and she was walking with me on Hollywood Boulevard and she just randomly turned around and there was this man with his penis hanging out and my mom screamed and ran for her life. Remember, she is like a super conservative, traditional Indian yeah. person. You don't even need to be conservative, man. Like literally any person that's walking down the street and sees a penis hanging is going to react like that. I feel know? like I'm numb to these interactions, you know. It's so normal to me, so day-to-day operation that when I see something like that, like a hanging penis or like a crack, I'm just like, hey, how are you? This is my city. <laughs> yeah, that is very much LA. I mean, it also breaks my heart. Like we're all trying to make ends meet, but we still want to help, but we don't know how. It's like, come on, provide people with public restrooms, public fridges. You work a little bit for an organization that helped the homeless, no? You want to talk a little bit about that experience? There are a lot of organizations in, the, in LA that are really fighting hard for the homeless community, man. But it's so difficult because every person needs to be approached differently. And we are really lacking professionals who need know how to deal with people with mental health issues. So there's a stereotype that most homeless people are junkies and alcoholics, but a very high percentage of them have mental health disability and they're left on their own in the streets and they're being approached by police instead of mental health professionals. Wow. I worked with an organization in Glendale called Asensia mm-hmm. and they help shelter homeless people. But as a homeless person, you need to be willing to enter that building, collaborate with a case manager, find a job, etc., etc. Not everybody is able to do that. So what they do is they go out into the streets sometimes with bags of food, just trying to feed as many people as they can on the street and trying to get them to get their IDs because they can't do anything without Uh their IDs. That kind of work is very strong in LA, but still the city needs to invest more in housing. I just want to talk very quickly about some of the homeless interactions that we have had here in the city. For example, Manal, I remember that you were telling me that once you were taking a work call outside your job and a homeless person approached you and she tried to punch you right in the face. (laughs) Yes. I'm sorry, it's not funny, but it's funny. It's not funny, but it's funny, right? I'm sorry. Like, you're right, Manal. We we shouldn't be laughing about this at all. It's just that sometimes these experiences are so bizarre that they knock us out of our comfort zone. And sometimes humor is what we resort to because we don't know how to cope with it. Like the reality of, you know, where we live. And I feel bad sharing these stories because I also don't want to give a negative light to homeless people because they're really struggling. But like I said, a lot of them struggle with mental health issues. So... This woman was just walking down the street. We were about to cross paths. I was on my phone and this woman was speaking to herself as she was walking and she seemed pretty agitated. She got close to my face and raised her fist at me, blurted out some kind of threat that I I didn't hear. And I had to like back up and then she just walked away. And I was like, man, that totally could have been a punch in the face, you know? Oh my gosh, that is so scary. 
Do you remember the time, Manal, that we went on a picnic in front of the beach and there was a lady who approached us. She asked us like to take food from our picnic. And, you know, I didn't notice that she was homeless or anything. I was just having a normal conversation with her. And then she turned, all her butt cheeks were out. I didn't even know that I was having a conversation with her and she was half naked until she turned. And I was like, oh my God, like you really don't know until, you know, Yeah. I don't feel like you really know who's homeless at first sight. Yeah, that's very true. When I was volunteering at the homeless shelter, there was a man used to come in every day at 6 p.m. in a full on suit and briefcase. And then he would go upstairs and come back down in his pajamas and chill in front of the TV. He was working. He had a day job, but he was living in the shelter. Oh, hmm. I mean, I've also had an experience where a homeless person stole my car from a yep. secure estate mm -hmm. that we lived in. That was quite an experience, too. I mean, when I found my car finally, and it was at the police station, the car was full of diapers and laptops that this person had stolen, credit cards. I found money under the seat like months later. I mean, like that car was full of stuff. It just made me think that in a city that has some of the wealthiest, there are also people that are so poor. And that could happen to any one of us. The living standards of LA are so ridiculous that it could happen to anyone. Absolutely. Exactly. Tomorrow, if I don't book a bunch of jobs as a freelance actor slash performing artist when I'm living in LA, I'm unable to pay rent. What am I going to do? Absolutely. Where am I going to go? The majority of the people that live in this city, they are living month to month. 100%. If something happens on that month, forget about the next one. Exactly. Exactly. It's not just rent. It's also like just the living expenses in terms of like what you have to pay to DMV, what you have to pay for car insurance, like everything adds up. You could have a good job and still be struggling. Yeah. I talk about these situations like a little bit lightly because it's like a common situation. You know, I see it every day to the point that it, it becomes normal to me and I'm a little bit desensitized because it's crazy to me that this city that can spend $40 million doing an event in the same street where they're doing those events, there's hundreds of homeless people living. So yeah. it's something that everybody sees every day. All the people with money and lawmakers, they're seeing what's going on. So if they're not able to do anything about it. When you say there's a $40 million concert happening right now, yeah. that's all being done by a private company, right? Who have the funds for this stuff. What are they going to do with homelessness? It's the government. Where the fuck is the city? Where are our taxes going? Aren't we part of making the city better? Don't we pay to live here and contribute to the infrastructure? Absolutely. I look at the government like a corporation because mm -hmm. I'm paying it money. And right now this corporation is failing because it's not giving me my money's worth. I'm paying a lot to be in the city, but I see people suffer every day. I'm hardly able to make ends meet. Something is wrong. We are overpaying taxes that are not going into improving infrastructure and providing housing to homeless people. It's not going into that. No, absolutely. You questioned the government and I questioned the major studios, you know, and what are they doing to help the homeless community, considering that they profit so much of the city. Don't show me La La Land because that's not true. There is not even one homeless person there. Are you guys tripping? <laughs> It's good to question the government and it's good also to question the major studios and the filmmakers that profit so much of the city, romanticize it so much. And there is like a big reality that is really not being talked so much about. You have a really good point because I really think that if big studios made more movies about the stories of real Angelinos who are actually really struggling right now, 
then it raises general awareness and it pushes the city to work harder to make it better. Exactly. So you want to show me La La Land? Okay, great. But show me also the not so La La Land because there's a <laughs> lot of that. Show me a skid row row. Yeah. We haven't talked about how we met. We live with each other. We know each other. But I want to give a little bit more context to how we met. How three people from three different parts of the world. Well, you guys are from the same continent, but you get what I'm saying. Like we three different cultures met in one place and somehow connected with humor. Okay, so I met Vanessa through my dad, actually, because he was looking for a place for me to live in when I moved to L.A. So he came across Vanessa's vacancy online and he was like, you should talk to this kind girl and I was like okay so then we talked on Skype and I don't actually know if I ever saw you or if I just heard your voice and then you sold your house to me by saying that it's located in the entertainment district there are so <laughs> many studios around and I was like okay great looking forward to it and I remember the day that I actually came to the place where you live I was downstairs and I had this massive red suitcase with me and you came with your long hair to the balcony and you were like hey friend you live here <laughs> and then you came and you helped me up the stairs when I got to your apartment I realized there were five other people living there but that's a story for another day oh my god seriously who else was living Do there you want to tell the story yes absolutely I want to say that I moved to Los Angeles first I had an apartment here and I was looking for roommates because this apartment had two bedrooms and I'm like okay I don't want to live alone I cannot make rent completely so I need somebody to live with so I put an ad and that's basically how I met these two fellow immigrants. It was the only possible way because I'm not really good with human interaction. So it wouldn't be like I would have met you guys at an event or like keep the yeah. connection, you know? No, I have to be forced to live with you in order for us to grow our relationship and you guys really get to know me past my weirdness <laughs> and be like, oh, you know what? She's not actually a sociopath. She can be a really good friend. So exactly, exactly. Yeah. The best of the best and of the best. it's crazy how, how she bedazzled us the same way. Into the entertainment district. <laughs> Ayushi and I found Vanessa the same way, just at different times. After Ayushi moved out, I'm looking for an apartment in the same area, the same university. I find her apartment, two bedroom, two bathroom. I'm like, I have my own bathroom. Great. And then I see her pictures. I'm like, oh, she's cute. Nice hair. <laughs> I'm so like specific about how I'm going to live with. I was like, listen, but I have to meet you on Skype. So we Skype. She's like, oh my God, you're from Dubai. Do you have a lion at home? I did not say that. Yeah. Did I ask you if you have a lion? Come on. Well, it sounds like something. She's like, are you rich? No, no way. Yeah. No. Nah. Did she say that? I need, I need proof of that now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh my God, I always wanted to go to Dubai. Uh, just clarification. There's this stereotype oh that everyone from Dubai is rich. It's absolutely false. <laughs> anyway, so I was like, okay, she she seems sane. Because, you know, in LA, you never know who you end up with. That's very true. Uh -huh. You end up with a cray cray. And then when I moved here, I entered the apartment and she had like a bouquet of flowers. What? I didn't get that. <laughs> you got an extra roommate. Who didn't talk to me for a year? <laughs> Wait, wait, tell me more. Tell me more. And then when I came in, I wasn't alone. Middle Eastern people have very protective families. So my dad let my mom's uncle in Orange County know that I was moving here. <laughs> so they're so sweet. Him, his wife, 
and his sister and his daughter picked me up from the airport, dropped me off at the apartment where I was about to meet Vanessa for the first time. And I didn't have a chance to tell her, like, listen, uh, I have guests with me. <laughs> Five people are coming with me. Three of them I'm meeting for the first time, but they're all wonderful people, you know. But she has no idea that I'm about to show up with my tribe, basically. <laughs> the whole gang. <laughs> this is too good. Literally, my face is hot. This is too funny. So I knock on the door. And then I don't she- open. I look through the fish eye and I see see five people and I'm like what's going on did she bring like a moving team or something oh my god that is so romantic but by fish eye you mean like the how do you call the door thing fish the door through the door guys we're immigrants okay we're missing some vocabulary here I said fish eye sorry wait that is so romantic though that's something that would be in like Nicholas Sparks movies or something so she opens the door And we enter the apartment and she's like, can you guys take your shoes off? We all had to one by one take our shoes off. We go into the living room. Oh yeah, we used to do that then. And Vanessa, they don't know where she's from, but they figure she's Latin. My aunt, like she's not really my aunt, but I call her my aunt. My relative, basically, she really liked the rug and it has this pattern. Yeah. Looks kind of tribal or whatever. It looks ethnic. I don't know. And she was like, did you bring this from your home country? <laughs> and this woman is like a very sweet uh, white lady from Orange County. You know, And like, I was like, no, I bought it at Ikea. It's literally at Ikea and I see it in so many apartments. It's like so generic. Sorry. <laughs> But honestly, I did like that your whole family came because they need to know, like, if you're going to be good, yeah. if I'm a serious person, like you just met me online. You don't, yeah. you don't know. You don't know me. Yeah, I'm so grateful. I'm always grateful for like the tightness of Arab families. You know, they really do look out for you. They're too in your business, but they do look out for you. Absolutely. You know? So Manal was surprised by flowers. What about Ajushi? When you met me, you say that there were five people living here. <laughs> What's well, cracking with that? Well, I remember there was this girl that she was friends with at the time. And she was, I don't know, like living in my bathroom or something. What? <laughs> no, come on. How was she living in your bathroom? She was living in the couch. She stayed here like for a week or so at the couch. So we still have differences about this because she didn't tell me that there was a person that was like couch surfing or whatever. And I just randomly found her in my bathroom with her laptop there. And I was like, wait, what's going on? Vanessa promised me my own bathroom. And then there was this one night when I went out and I just had like a big night and I came home and I was very drunk. And then that night I was like really angry. And I basically took a lot of sticky notes and I was like, this is my bathroom. Do not fart in my bathroom. And I wrote so many notes. And then Psycho. the next morning, Vanessa was like, I need you <laughs> to move out. <laughs> She probably thought you were a psycho. Yeah, she definitely thought I was a psycho. We were both psycho. That's how we were able to connect. Definitely. But from my part, I felt like so anxious and I didn't know how to deal with my feelings. And I used to drink a lot. So everything would make me explode. And I didn't know how to communicate. So if I wanted to tell her something, I wouldn't like face her. I would just text her about it. Yeah. You know, it was weird for her not being communicated that she will find somebody living in the couch using her bathroom, you know? So... <laughs> Of course, she, she immediately found that like, whoa, what's going on here? And I got that later on. <laughs> me being like such a fucking hippie. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with me. No, 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 no. It's not just you, but I was also extremely impulsive and I think very immature. And like I was 24, guys, like, you know, we were both very young. Yeah, yeah you guys are just literally describing every 20 year old. <laughs> but at the same time, I will say that was a defining moment in our friendship because after that whole incident happened, we were like, we're both psychos and that's why we're always going to stick together. But right now we need to be a part. You know, I have lived in that house like on and off so many times while you lived there too, Manal. 
phenomenal. And we spent the pandemic together too. So, But I want to ask you guys, when you came here, did you immediately try to run to your diaspora, like to the people that look like you and speak like you? Or were you trying to separate from it and make other relationships, so like develop other friendships with other cultures? Everywhere I go, I always make sure I'm surrounding myself with people from everywhere. Dubai is a very cosmopolitan city. I'm used to being around so many different cultures. And that's uh, why I was always attracted to the United States as well. I always hesitate approaching my fellow Arabs because I have a fluid sexuality and not all people from my culture are open to that. It's always right. going to come down yeah. to yeah. that, you know. Sometimes I encounter a very surprising openness and mm -hmm. all my best friends, other than Vanessa and you, are Arab girls. Mm. I was about to ask you, do you have any Arab friends? <laughs> Here? So here in LA, like this is another thing, you know, it's so difficult to make friends in a new country, especially when you move as an adult. Totally. I literally have one Arab friend here. That's it. I have grown up personally in so many different countries that it just feels like mm -hmm. I don't have any specific diaspora, that my diaspora belongs to someone who is just welcoming whatever culture they are. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, sorry, Aisha, but all your friends are Indian here. In LA, all oh. your friends... Mm -hmm. Maybe in the United States, a lot of them are Indian and Pakistani. Just That's just because I ended up working at a place that had a lot of Indian and Pakistani people. But in general, though, like, for example, South Africa, I don't have any Indian friends here. Here, like most of my friends are Afrikaans or Africans. So I feel like at the beginning, I wanted to jump right at the first Latino person that I will see. If I will see somebody that will look Latino, I immediately start speaking Spanish. Hey, hola, que tal, amigo? Como está, mi amor? Vente pa' acá. <laughs> People will be like, man, yeah. excuse me, what the fuck are you talking about? And I'll be like, oh, how are you? Yeah. I'm just looking for a friend. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so it's that culture clash within my own culture. It's like, for some reason, I immediately assume that we were connected somehow. So I had that culture clash that I had to learn from. Kind of like have to read behavior before speaking, you know, have to see like, okay, what are you comfortable with? How do you want to be called? What language do you want to speak? How do you want me to refer to you? So Bani, I wanted to ask you about this culture clash within your own culture. For example... How do you feel about Latinos here who don't speak Spanish? I feel like it's not my business, you know? Yeah. Even though at the beginning, I felt judgmental of Latinos that didn't take advantage of the multicultural household. You can learn two languages. What's up? Look at me. I learned two languages. Didn't you guys request me to learn English? I had all this argument inside of me, you know? Mm -hmm. And then after actually hanging out with the people from here that don't speak Spanish and they're Latino and they're like fifth generation, I don't know. I don't know what generation they are. I started to comprehend more that it really isn't my business to opinionate on that because I had the opportunity. I wanted to move to a different country. They haven't moved to a different country, you know? Right. It depends on the household. It depends on the circumstances, right? Yeah. I was exactly like that. I used to be very judgmental about that. I think I was judgmental about it because I had put in so much effort into learning how to be fluent in Arabic. Mm -hmm. I'm Arab, but I didn't learn Arabic immediately. I went to a French school and I spoke English most of the time with my friends. And I had to increase my Arabic vocabulary to be able to communicate better with my parents. Mm -hmm. They spoke English, they spoke French, but little. Yeah. So I really had to make that push, you know, and then I come here and I see like you didn't even bother. <laughs> you're not even interested. <laughs> like you have it's not an issue for you. But then I realize their parents speak English, you yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. And it comes down to circumstances, like you say, you know, like the Latino community here, the immigrant parents, they were bullied themselves and some of them never learned how to speak English. So they saw that as a negative thing to speak Spanish. Yeah. It comes down to circumstances, to education, to that old generation running away from traumas 
and thinking that their language is trauma itself and they don't want to like impose that on their children. They were like, I'm not going to teach you. Later on, you decide if you want to learn, you know? That's something that my friends who are from the Indian, Bangladeshi, Pakistani communities have also told me that when they moved as kids, they didn't want to be bullied in school. So they wanted to be as American as possible. Yeah. And I think we were trying to do the same thing. Like when I moved also, I was told that if I wanted a career in Hollywood, I would need to not only sound American, but be American, understand American jokes. Especially if you're talking about Bangladeshi and Pakistani kids after 9-11. Anyone that is Muslim and traveling to a Western country, their whole travel experience has completely shifted. 100%. This was completely a part of my experience when I first traveled to the U.S. We had to wait three hours at least In the immigration office at the airport, we were questioned without being told why we were there. It was so strict. And it still is for Arabs. It still is. My family is Catholic, but they don't know that. They just see your Arabic passport and they assume you're Muslim. Uh And they double check everything. They ask you why you're here. I was in a detention room for three hours at JFK. This was my first time traveling to the United States. Mm -hmm. I had no idea why I was there. I was sweating out of my ass. I kept saying that I'm just here because I'm visiting my... My cousin, which I was, and he was waiting outside for me. And then when they finally let me go, my cousin was like, welcome to America. I knew this was going to happen. We experienced it at the level of airports and traveling and stuff. But there are a lot of kids who, you know, had to grow up here always being told, don't speak Arabic. Don't tell people that you're Arab. Don't tell people you're Muslim. Yeah, you know? yeah. I think it was like their parents pushed to assimilate. It's like some parents even gave up on themselves assimilating because they might be so old, you know, and they're like, I might not assimilate to the American culture fully, but I want you to do it. And I'm going to restrict you for anything that might prevent you from it. You know, even if it's your own culture, you will find about it later. Exactly. Deal with your cultural traumas later on, but not in this household. Okay, I myself am not like submerging myself in my culture. I'm pretty westernized, but I need that Arab touch in my life, you know? No, totally. I will say that our friends who are from these communities who've had to Americanize, some of them, they're still attached to their roots. Like I know that my Indian and Pakistani and Bangladeshi friends, they really do enjoy their cultures a lot. Like they still fast, they still watch Bollywood movies or movies from their countries. But at the same time, they are very American too. The ironic part of everything is that seeing them rediscovering their roots inspire me to go deeper into my roots. What do you think about immigrants who don't like new immigrants? Have you experienced any people from your own diaspora who are like Latinos who don't want more Latinos to immigrate into the United States or Arabs who don't want more Arabs to immigrate into the United States? I mean, States? I think from my own diaspora has been incredibly supportive of me moving to the United States. I'm actually talking about people that I haven't even met before who were willing to just be there for me and help out with this whole visa process and also just like lending their support like sending me emails like letting me know that they're there for me if I need anything they're just people that have heard of me and then they were willing to like help out so personally I have extended family in the United States who voted for Trump and they know my struggles with immigration which were directly affected by some of Trump's immigration policies so for me this is an example of Arab immigrants who don't want more Arab immigrants oh I see your point in that I feel like immigrants that don't like other immigrants are the type of people that once they're up 
they just pull out the ladder, you know? Ooh, yeah, yikes. That is deep. I don't like hanging out with this type of people at all. I am pro-immigration. I would always be, you know, I feel like we should all run free. And when I say all run free, I don't mean like treat us like cattle and like we're coming running to you. Eh? No, no, we need identification. We need the proper systems. But like it should be like easier. 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 It should be easier, less obsolete. More facilitated. Mm. Absolutely. For more people, because we all need to run free. Come on, the whole world is globalized. We cannot do anything without the help of the author. Let's ramp up the system. Let's bring the system to where we are now because this system is so old. It's so old. While there are those people that do pull out the ladder, I also think there are people that are very aware of how they got up the ladder mm. and do support other immigrants and create more ladders. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the future when I'm able to get citizenship, which is my goal, I want to be able to help other people too who wish to move and need advice, need guidance, you know, because this can be such, like you said, such an obsolete process, but also just a very frustrating, lonely journey. It always helps, even if it's words of encouragement, you know, even that helps. I actually wanted to say all my life, I didn't feel like I was enough. Like I didn't feel like I was Indian enough or South African enough or Nigerian enough, or, you know, enough of anything. But when I finally moved to LA, that was the only place where I met other people like me, people like us who also feel the same way, who are hybrids of so many different cultures, who also don't feel enough. And yet we're all so full. So I just hope the next time an immigration officer or anyone in the government is reviewing an immigration application, they see that it's being beyond just what's on the paper. Truly, they're holding hopes and dreams in their hands and literally a life that holds so much potential that just wants to grow. So amen. Absolutely. I can also hope that they can see that they are dealing with other humans. I want to give some context because in the last episode, you were extremely tired about fighting for your rights and you sounded like you almost given up. We didn't have any news about your visa. Your visa was recently rejected. So I don't know how comfortable you feel about it, but you want to give a little more context of what happened afterwards since the last episode when you were like... I know you say fight for your rights. You used to say that to me all the time. And I think that after a while, though, like you don't have enough fight left in you. You've done everything you can. Okay, even <laughs> backtracking a little bit more. What happened is that your visa got denied once and then you reapplied. Yes. No hops at all. And then finally, it got approved again. And I was telling you that it's going to take a miracle for this case to be approved because everything is getting delayed right now. Nothing changes every single day. And then one day... Everything changes. It does. I used to check the USCIS page every single day and it would keep on saying that case has been received and that's the only notification I would see. One morning I woke up and checked that website and it said it was approved. And of course I called my best friend even before I called anybody else. And I was like, bitch, I'm coming home. <laughs> and now I don't know when I'm going to have an appointment. <laughs> and now there's another blog. It's the Olympics of the immigrants. It's so like blockage yeah. after blockage after blockage. And then you got to jump and then swim and then grab a bike. And then they tell you, no, but there is another variant. <laughs> no, but now you don't have no appointments. And you're like, all right, let me just center myself, get some strength and keep fighting. Like I said in the last episode, we always going to be fighting. I also want to give more context about how many visas you've already had, because this visa that was denied wasn't your first visa. It wasn't your first time seeking employment authorization in the U.S., 
you had already been living here for a few years on two other visas. So yeah. just because you get the same visa multiple times you're approved doesn't mean you're always going to get it. Absolutely. And also, I thought I was going to be eligible for a visa interview waiver which means you don't need to have an interview at the embassy to get your visa stamped and your passport because you've already been approved twice before and because they already have your fingerprints. But I think they will still insist on seeing me in person. But I'm just saying that, yes, I've had previous approvals and I still find myself here. Sometimes I do wonder, like, why am I going through this? You know, I should have a green card by now. Yeah. Why don't you have your green card by now if you've been on 201s? Each 01 lasts three years. I didn't apply for it. I could have applied within five years. The green card process costs about $10,000. And at the time, I just didn't have that kind of money to apply for a green card. So I just decided to renew my visa instead. But I cannot blame anyone else other than myself because I think that I did not apply for a green card in time. No, this whole government system is so obsolete, dude. Everything here is so advanced about the systems. You're going to tell me in the middle of a pandemic, someone who got a document approved, you cannot get like, okay, we'll see you at the airport. Like, just bring your passport. Like, we know who you are. You've been living here for a couple of years. You pay taxes. We know where you live. We have your address. Like, we literally approved two visas to the same person for the same circumstances. She's working for a Netflix show. Yeah, let her pass. Ask her for the vaccine and the quarantine and all of that. Adapt the norm to the current system. We are in a pandemic. Everything is changing. Why are you still asking me to go to an embassy, wear my mask, mm. get asked the same questions, show her that I am in a show? Come on, bro. <laughs> Give me a break. This episode, we're making a donation to a nonprofit organization called Rainbow Street. They do really amazing work. They support LGBTQ plus people in the Middle East and North Africa by providing them shelter and just general navigation. So thank you, Rainbow Street, for your work. And we hope you enjoy our donation. Yay! There we go. That's part of our donation segment. I wanted to add to that that I feel like this episode was especially a big catharsis because we've been in limbo for so many months yeah. and we didn't know what will the outcome of your visa situation be. That finally, when we saw the approve, it was like a like a <laughs> volcano erupting, you know, it was like, oh, these are all the emotions that we were been storing for all these months. <laughs> I know. I could see it on your face when I FaceTimed you. <laughs> and I feel like even now talking about it is so emotional because we still don't know. There's still so many different obstacles that are coming yes. up with the pandemic and the new cases developing that there's still more to it. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for it. And let's see what happens with this immigrant. Will she make it home? We're hoping mm. for it. We miss you. I miss you guys. Okay. I love you guys. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye. bye.